Hey there, this is Lake Miller, and I am here with Emma Scoville. Welcome to Gym City Diversity, a podcast where we talk about diversity and inclusion in the Dayton area. We are from the National Conference for Community and Justice of Greater Dayton, or NCCJ. NCCJ works in the Miami Valley to increase understanding around the topics of diversity and inclusion. This season, we are diving into discrimination in Dayton. Today's episode is on sexism, and this is going to be part one of a two-part series that we're going to do. We're really excited and hoping to have a special guest join us. Yeah, so definitely tune in for some more excitement here on Gym City Diversity. So Emma, you want to start telling us a little bit about what's going on with the history of sexism here in Dayton? Right, I can definitely do that. So we're going to start off in 1915. So for those of you who don't know, we're starting off in the midst of a time of women trying to get the right to vote and suffragists like kind of doing their thing and protesting and petitioning and stuff like that. So we're going to look at a group of three women who did a cross-country road trip to petition for the right for women to gain the right to vote. So these three women were Sarah Bard Field, Maria Kinberg, and Ingborg Kinstead. Sorry if I screwed up your name, Ingborg. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> anyways, they were called the Suffragist Envoy, and they were part of the Congressional Union for Women's Suffrage, which was the more radical contingent of the suffragist movement. So they started off in California and then drove cross-country, and we're going to look at their time in Cleveland as well as their time in Dayton and kind of contracts contrast the two of them. And one thing that I want to point out, you know, as we read through this article, this is 1915. So this is no cross-country journey like we've experienced. Oh, no. You know, that that lady whose name we may not have said so correctly, the Ingenborg Kinstead, um, was the mechanic of the group, right, to take care of this vehicle they were traveling across the country in. And for us, you know, traveling across the country is quite the big undertaking. Mm -hmm. But And this time, especially so, you know, this was definitely a a very long journey that they made. Yes. And when I was reading the article, it talked about how there was also an element of um, danger almost because it was three women by themselves driving all the way across country. And when they would break down in the middle of Kansas and it would be raining and they just had to stop somewhere and there was just a bunch of men and they were really taking a risk going on this journey. Yeah, and, you know, one thing that I read that that kind of shocked me was the men would kind of gather around and say, all right, ladies, fix it. You Mm -hmm. know, you are fighting for the right to vote. You want to be independent? Well, take it in your own hands. Make this happen. And that was kind of the reactions that they got, especially in these small towns between California and Ohio. They were really not receiving what they were hoping to receive from these groups. For sure, yes. So... We're going to talk specifically about not only their stop in Dayton, but their stop in Cleveland. Um, So prior to them stopping in Dayton, the group took a stop in Cleveland um, where they received not so welcoming of a reception. No, it wasn't great for them at all. The mayor at the time, Newton D. Baker, refused to sign their petition, and even the local members of the National Women's Suffrage Association distanced themselves from the suffrage envoy. People there did not like them. Yeah, so and one thing that I think this mayor took particular issue um, with was some of the language they were using. Mm-hmm. So these women said, we demand, right? They demand yes. the right to vote, which... And this time was quite a powerful stance for women to make. And he was pretty upset with that. You know, he was thinking that these women were not 
they didn't have the right to demand something, that it mm-hmm. wasn't ladylike to demand something. And so he quite frankly just said, no, I don't think we're going to be doing that. Yeah. They had a banner that said, we demand an amendment to the United States Constitution enfranchising women. And even the women thought this was too unladylike because they were supposed to politely ask for the right to vote and maybe they would get it. That's so crazy to me. You know, this is a, we live in a, in a world where there's some things that are rights, there's expectations that we should have these certain rights. And, mm-hmm. you know, for such a large percentage of the population to not have that right, to say that they are unladylike or they're, they're asking mm-hmm. too much to get what the rest of the population had seems crazy in this modern era. For sure. To think that I wouldn't have had the right to vote just uh, 100 years ago, exactly, basically. So, And to think that I would have been told that I was being unladylike and insolent and all these different things just because I demanded my rights, you know? Yeah. So these women go to Cleveland, not such a great reaction, Mm-mm. not definitely not what they were anticipating for their trip to Cleveland. And then I'm not sure if it was next on the on the ballot yeah, exactly. Yeah, not but, sure exactly the order. Yeah, but somehow they got from Cleveland to Dayton. Mm-hmm. So today, you know, a two and a half, three hour drive, probably back then a multi-day journey for sure. um, to get from there to here. So they get to Cleveland and had somewhat of a different reaction. Yeah, so we, um, in this article, they had a letter from um, Mrs. Cyrus M. Mead that she wrote to Alice Paul, and they were talking about the plan for their time in Dayton. So a lar- this is what the letter said. A large number of motors occupied by representative women will meet the envoys in the suburbs of Dayton, headed by a brass band and joined by women on foot. We will proceed to the courthouse steps where Mayor Schroyer, on behalf of the city, will welcome the envoys, possibly joined in this welcome by other city officials. From present indications, this will be the biggest thing the Dayton women have ever participated in, which is pretty amazing. We see we go from Cleveland, where the women were shunning this, to Dayton, where this is the biggest thing they've ever participated in. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so really a a very different reaction. This was almost a celebration mm-hmm. when these people got to Dayton, um, which I think was probably pretty invigorating for these people. Oh, and for sure. probably gave these three suffragists probably a lot of energy to keep moving on this journey after being met with such disagreement. For sure. And it can be very disheartening to go from place to place and people to shut you down. But then when you go somewhere and everybody's rallying around your cause – it really just brings momentum and movement and hope, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I do want to add, I know we've we've said a, a few things about the speed in which they were traveling mm-hmm. across the country. I just, I just double-checked, and the Envoy's Overload 6 could muster up to 25 miles per hour on a good day. That's the language the Dayton Daily News <laughs> used. Um, 25 miles per hour is a pretty... It's pretty slow. Pretty slow pace to move it's across the country. you're going through a school zone in, not exactly. a highway. <laughs> yeah, so I imagine that, you know, they were definitely taking in the sights as they were mm-hmm. moving across the country. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about what kind of came of this? What started after this? Yeah, this? for sure. So after we see the um, suffragist envoy come here, that's not the end of women gathering together and working together in Dayton. So in 1916, the Dayton's Women Club was formed. So um, this club was um, brought together to kind of bring women in the city together to talk about 
women's rights, uh, community support, and philanthropic philanthropic (laughs) endeavors. Oops. Okay. I'll learn how to speak eventually. So anyways, the club was formed in 1916, like I said, and they bought a Victorian-style house built in the late 1850s by Robert W. Steele, located at 225 North Ludlow Street on... And then on November 1st, 1916, the Women's Clubhouse Company of Dayton, Ohio, or the Dayton Women's Club, was incorporated under the laws of the state of Ohio. So basically what that meant is they were just recognized. recognized. And so um, recently, actually, on October 16th in 2019, they received a historical marker from the state to recognize their many contributions throughout its history um, for what they have done. And so originally they would use the house for women to live in because um, it wasn't considered proper for young ladies to live by themselves if they weren't married. So they could either live with their family or with their husband. Otherwise, um, their reputation kind of would suffer. So they could come and live in this house with other young ladies. And that was something that they did for like a long time. But recently they have moved away from and now um, the house is still part of the Dane Women's Club, but it's used more for meetings and stuff like that. Yeah, and, you know, I think it's really interesting looking at these organizations that a lot of us still know today where they came from historically, how long they have really been making a huge difference in Dayton. Mm -hmm. It's really amazing, you know, the changes that they have been able to make. The other organization that we want to talk about is the YWCA chapter here in Dayton. Um, YWCA, or the Young Women's Christian Association, as it was originally known, um, was founded in a whole as... At 1870. Um, the Dayton chapter here was founded in 1889. So again, a very oh, long-standing history. The Dayton chapter was actually 1870, and then the first African-American YWCA chapter was formed in 1889 in Dayton. And Dayton was the first city in the U.S. to have an African-American um, chapter, which is really cool, I think. Yeah, that is really, really, really amazing. Um, and historically, the YWCA was able to provide assistance to these individuals Mm -hmm. um, who are really experiencing or coping with a lot of changes in their life. Um, Today, I think Dayton is still known for having a very strong YWCA. Um, You know, I think they're very proudly having that sign out on the street, Mm -hmm. probably most known at this point for their shelter, their support services for women, for children um, who are, you know, fleeing domestic violence or different situations of that you know, providing affordable housing to women, um, and really just assistance in general. They also have a great program, Girls Lead, which is a um, a program for 11 to 18-year-old young women. I have heard terrific things about that. So this is another group who is really making great changes in Dayton, specifically for the young women of the society. Yeah, and going back to um, what they've done for domestic abuse and violence awareness, so This October, YWCA has teamed up with criminal justice studies majors at UD to wrap purple ribbons around lampposts and poles in downtown Dayton to raise awareness for domestic abuse. Because October is Domestic Abuse Awareness Month, so what they're really doing is trying to bring awareness. And with each of these ribbons, there's information cards that feature websites, phone numbers, and any other information somebody seeking help or who may be aware of another need can use. So they're just kind of... uh, going and teaming up with one of the local universities to really bring awareness to this issue and help the community. That's wonderful. Yeah, that's really great. So let's shift gears a little bit to some more recent events that are occurring that kind of relate to sexism. So 
I want to first bring up the August 4th mass shooting in the Oregon district. I actually, until I saw this research, had no idea that this was even an issue that may relate to sexism. Yeah. So basically what happened is um, they kind of dug into Connor Betts' past and they found out that he used to keep a list of targets in high school and the boys' names were on a hit list and the girls' names were on a rape list. And so there was a threat of violence present in his past. And um, what ended up happening after the shootings in Dayton and El Paso is um, reporters really dug into different research that people have done. And they found that almost all mass shooters are me- that are men have um, a history of violence, specifically violence or threatened violence against women, which is a very scary and real thing to- that we have to think about today. Yeah, you know, definitely very disturbing. And it's really contributing to this culture, I think, that has, that's not a unique issue for Dayton, Mm -hmm. um, but an issue that we're kind of experiencing this entire country of kind of normalizing rape culture and um, these sexist attitudes kind of coming up front and being um, more at the forefront. You know, you have very prominent figures in our society who are um, saying really derogatory, really sexually um, explicit things against women in a very public manner. and honestly, you know, it's it's no wonder that things like this are showing up. Yeah. And so kind of going back to this rape list and like the idea behind it. So Betts was expelled um, after this incident, but he ended up coming back to school a couple months or weeks later. And nobody who was on the list ended up being told. And the different girls who were on it, most of them were girls who had turned him down in the past when he asked them out on dates. And um, while I'm not aware and I don't think this happened in my high school of like a rape list being created. I know that when I have turned people down on dates before, I have definitely been worried that even though they're nice guys, you never really know what they might do when you say no. And so that's something that um, I think a lot of girls in the back of their minds think about like what could happen even though they say no, like when they say no, what might happen? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. And in this time of uh, in this time of stories coming forward and people being not afraid to speak out, I think we're starting to have the conversations that need to have. And I think governments are starting to maybe take more notice Mm -hmm. that this is really an issue. Yeah, it's not just something that's unique to some individuals. Um, You know, I think the other example of this, that's probably one of the most famous modern examples of rape. Um, in our society is Brock Turner, you know, a product of Oakwood, you mm-hmm. know, a, a Daytonian, he may refer to himself as. Um, Brock Turner, who back in 2015 um, was convicted for um, raping an unconscious individual at his college, was sentenced to six months in prison. And that's just how can our legal system work that somebody who's convicted of a crime this terrible gets six months? Yeah, six months. And what may be even more disturbing is that six months was a conviction and that his actual time that he would serve was three months. He gets out on, good he behavior. ended up getting out on good behavior. Um, and as we looked at this case, I think really the issue that contributes to this rape culture was he was really taken a lot of care of in this case and in the news stories. You know, they talked about not wanting to put him too far away because he doesn't want to, the judge didn't want to harm his life. They didn't want right. to inconvenience him. You know, he was a, a promising swimmer, all of these things. he They referenced his swimming time in the articles. 
you know, this is a person who committed a crime and they're talking yeah. about his accomplishments. He ruined somebody else's life. Like this girl that he committed his act of violence against, like that, she can never forget that. That's something that sticks with her forever now. And what about her? What about her life? Like he ruined it. And so, but we're too worried that about ruining his life. Absolutely. And I haven't been able to look into it so much um, so far, but Chanel Miller came out as being the individual who Brock Turner raped just recently. Um, I think it was about a month ago that she came out. So in the Mm -hmm. middle of September 2019, um, she came out saying that she was um, who was often referred to as the Jane Doe in this situation. Mm -hmm. I would definitely encourage all of our listeners to take time and listen um, to her story. I know that she did a 60 Minutes episode um, on CBS, and really, I think that she deserves to have a voice in this case, you know, as Mm -hmm. he has taken so much away from her. Um, definitely giving some of that power back to her, I think, is something that, that really needs to happen. I think that's what we've really been seeing a pattern in is um, rape victims and other victims of sexual assault have really tried to take power back because rape is really a, an act of taking power away from from an individual. And so trying to reassert yourself and giving yourself power back can be very powerful and healing. Absolutely. All right, so we are going to shift one more time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is a, a very broad topic, and so we're going to try to touch on each of a, of a few different items throughout this podcast today. The second episode, we are going to be talking to some guests who can provide us with some more depth into these topics, For can sure. provide us with some more details, some more examples. Um, but to start out, we're going to provide kind of a setting of the scene of what has happened, not only in Dayton, but on a national scale as well. Um, on these broader issues of sexism, both historically and also some modern examples. The last thing that we want to talk a little bit about is the gender pay gap. So the gender pay gap in Ohio is that on average, a woman makes 78 cents for every dollar a man makes. And in Mike Turner's district, which includes the city of Dayton, women make 77 cents for every dollar a man makes. So this is about um, what the Ohio average is. So In April, the Ohio Equal Pay Act was reintroduced into the Ohio House by three female representatives, and it was introduced on Equal Pay Day, which is the day of the year that women would have to work um, to equal. So what Equal Pay Day is, it's when a year plus however many days a woman would have to work to equal a man's salary. Interesting. So um, it typically falls sometime in April because of the 30 cents that they have to make up. Huh. I have I have not heard that before, and I was wondering when I saw that statistic what that is, and it's really disturbing. That's a yeah. disturbing day. Mm-hmm. I um, have done some research in this and written some articles when I used to write for the Odyssey. One of my first articles was actually on the pay gap and kind of why it exists and how do we fix it and stuff like that. Oops. And so um, <laughs> bump some light. Yeah, my bad. Um, so. This is actually the fifth time that the Ohio Equal Pay Act has been introduced into the Ohio legislature, which is and it's probably not going to go anywhere since nothing's really happened to it since April. And it, you know, I just look at an act like that and I think what could possibly be wrong with something that or that guarantees equal protection for all individuals? It's own. We can only speculate. I can't say for sure, but um, I agree. It's kind of interesting when you see people who are against equality yeah. in general. So we digress somewhat. Um, 
what does this pay gap equate to? So women are typically paid about $11,477 less than men. And black women, for black women, this problem um, is exacerbated. Mm -hmm. And black women make um, approximately $18,000 less than that white male counterpart as well. Mm Mm-hmm. And then Latino women are making more than $19,000 less than their white male counterparts. So it's um, the gender pay gap is further broken down by race and ethnicity. Sure. And when we average this, it's about an 80 cent average between all of the races. It's about 80% of a white male counterpart. So 80 cents per each $1 that a white male makes. Yeah. And so going back to how in Ohio it's 78 cents, Ohio is the 14th worst state in the nation for the gender pay gap, which is pretty high up there for not doing so well. You know, I wonder, and I should have looked into this before we actually wrote this, but the state that has the best, I wonder what that looks um, like. I remember that the states were some of the highest states, like with the smallest amount of gap, were California and New York, and there was a couple other ones. So I can't remember exactly what the other ones were. I would guess that they're probably northeastern states, but I don't know that for sure. And so one common argument that we see with the gender pay gap is a lot of people try and say that the pay gap only exists because women choose lower paying jobs. But um, there's a report that shows the gap exists within jobs. It's not just, oh, women only want to be teachers and nurses and not doctors and lawyers or something like that. Even within jobs, um, there is a gap that exists. So let's talk a little bit about the gag rules, right? And Mm -hmm. saying that in a workplace, you can't talk about your salaries. And this almost seems to be a, a clear way to make these situations okay by saying, you know, if me and Emma are working at the same place in the same role, I can't ask Emma what she makes. She can't ask me what I make. And none of us will know that Emma's making 75 cents and I'm making a dollar. Exactly. And so the Ohio Equal Pay Act would prohibit gag orders on employees that keep them from talking about their salaries, which could really help because there's a lot of men who want to be advocates and help their female counterparts get paid the same amount. But if they can't talk about it, how can they know that it's really happening? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, any other items on this issue? Um, One other thing I want to point out is that the structure of the job market can actually be one of the reasons why this pay gap is exasperated. So Claudia Golden, a professor at Harvard, found that Firms disproportionately reward individuals who labored long hours and worked particular hours. So this disadvantages caregivers because they can't work these hours. Instead, they have to take care of their children. And caregivers are disproportionately female, which is part of the reason for this pay gap. And so jobs in which employees can easily substitute for one another have the slimmest pay gaps, and workers are paid in proportion to the hours they work. So one example that Golden looked at was pharmacists. Before they restructured their job market, female pharmacists only made 66% of what male pharmacists made. But afterwards, today, they make 92% of what male pharmacists makes, which isn't 100%, but is a lot closer than 66%. So basically what happened was large chains opened pharmacies rather than having small privately owned pharmacies so the hours that people worked could change. So women could work in the afternoons and at nights instead of just during um, 9 to 5 when they might have to be there for their small children. Sure. You know, and so a lot of these issues are being furthered by all of these societal standards Mm -hmm. that are on people. So, you know, 
clearly, if you're expected to be at home during the day taking care of the children, the times and the jobs that you can work are very limited. Mm -hmm. Now, I like to call this on-the-job research here, um, and I did pull (laughs) up a list of all of the average pay gaps. So the top three, um, the 49, 50, and they have 51 here because they included Washington, D.C., Um, So the best three states as far as this issue is concerned is California, New York, and Florida, each of which are in the $5,000 range. Um, They're actually the only three states in the $5,000 range. So California, um, on average, a woman earns $5,928 less than a man. In New York, it's $5,766. In Florida, it's $5,474. Interestingly, Florida is that best person. A reminder, Ohio is 11,477. So these individuals have a pay gap that is twice as small Mm -hmm. as Ohio. You know, really amazing. All right. So this is kind of a, you know, like I said, an umbrella overlook at all of these issues. We are going to be going more in depth on these issues with some special guests. So we definitely hope that you have enjoyed this podcast today. You've learned a lot and that you are now equipped with knowledge to take in some really great guests as we learn more about sexism, particularly in Dayton, um, but also in the entire country. So now we're going to move into our Dayton diversity highlight. Kayla couldn't be here with us today, so I'm going to cover it for her. So today's diversity highlight is about Courtney Cordner and Jasmine Martin. There are two healthcare professionals in Dayton who have been chosen as ambassadors for gender equality studies and research for the United States of Women. So the United States of Women is a national council that was started under the Obama administration. And they're going to be looking at how women are treated by medical professionals in comparison to men and how gender bias can play a role in healthcare. So they'll be conducting a needs assessment and then using their research to create an action plan. Once the research is complete, we'll all be able to read about it in Forbes magazine. And Martin is a labor and delivery nurse here in Dayton, and Corner is a behavioral health specialist. So we're really proud of these two women for being appointed and chosen as ambassadors for this program. And I can't wait to see what sort of research they come up with. Well, Emma, well, Kayla enjoyed the nice sunny San Diego. We appreciate you filling in. Thank you for tuning in to Gem City Diversity. Make sure to come back next time as we dive into our next topic. For more information on NCCJ and diversity within the Miami Valley, go visit www.nccjgreaterdayton.org. Make sure to like NCCJ of Greater Dayton on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram at nccj underscore of underscore greater underscore Dayton. And follow us on Twitter at nccjdayton. I'm Emma Scoville, and I was joined today by my co-host Lake Miller, and we'll see you next time.